It was the best experience of my running career. I ran it in 2.45, I won the Moore Marathon, and sure, I was excited about that. Of course, that was really awesome and everybody else was excited. But while I was running it, during all those loops, every woman out there was cheering for me, inspired by me, not because I was some hotshot runner, but just because I was just a mom from Arizona that had, I didn't go to college, I didn't run in college, I had a terrible athletic background. I came in last in all of my, um, I was on the swim team, I came in last. I was in basketball, nobody wanted me on their side, right? So these women were inspired by me, so that changed how I looked at running after the more marathon, because I'm like, what I do can matter in the life of other people. So that gave, my passion was running, but then my purpose was to inspire other people in any way that I possibly could. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 88 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. It was the best experience of my running career, running a 245 marathon over four hilly loops of Central Park, winning the Moore Marathon for Masters Women. Every woman out there was cheering for me, inspired by me, and not because I was some hotshot runner, but because I was a mom from Arizona. That changed how I looked at running. What I do can matter in the life of other people. My purpose became to inspire other people in any way that I possibly could. Susan Loken began her remarkable running journey at age 35 after the birth of her first son, realizing she needed some me time and wanted to get active. She built up from her first 5K to completing her first marathon in four hours and one minutes in San Francisco at age 36. Remarkably, just four short years later, Susan qualified for her first of three Olympic trials marathons at age 40. Susan's also a four-time USA Masters Marathon champion and has one of the most accomplished running resumes of anyone you'll ever meet. I really enjoyed diving deep with Susan to find out how a kid who came in last in her swim meets and was always the last kid picked to be on a sports team could progress to this amazing level. We discuss mom giving her the gift of self-belief, no excuses, finding her tribe in the running community, tapping into that power, coach Brett Schumacher taking her under his wing, finding her purpose, where the fire comes from, her darkest hole mantras, run now, wine later, community, and giving back. Susan is a running rabbit sponsored athlete who cares deeply for the running community and giving back through coaching girls on the run and healthy kids running. I'm excited to follow her next chapter as she shifts her focus to trail and ultra running. Hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did and are inspired by Susan's journey. Let's dive on in and take a listen. Logan, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm so excited to have you here with me. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be fun, fun times for sure. Fun times for sure. I've been following your running career, your amazing master's running career for a long time from afar. Huge fan of everything you accomplished. Particularly, I'm always inspired by the people who come to our sport late, the ones who uh, 
really aren't involved, you know, in their high school, college years. Maybe they're doing other things. They really haven't found this beautiful sport we have. And, you know, you really didn't even start running into your 30s and then totally made your mark in your 40s and 50s, breaking like a zillion masters record marks and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, and in my sweet spot at the marathon and longer distance stuff. So somebody I've definitely had my eye on for a long time to talk to, and I'm, I'm excited to get into it all. Well, thanks. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah. So for everybody listening at home that maybe doesn't know about your amazing running history to this point, tell everybody just like where you grew up, what was family life like for you as a kid? Okay. Um, my family life growing up, well, I grew up in uh, West Seattle, um, Northwest, where it's nice and rainy and green. Um, just a nice kind of suburban family, um, all American. We went camping, visited grandma and grandpa, um, played outside until our curfew was always when it was dark out. So, we, you know, we got to play outside. I, I guess I call them the good old days, right? Heck <laughs> There's yeah. no computers. There was no phones. There was none of that stuff. So just a nice, fun, um, wholesome, you know, life. Um, didn't really play sports at all. Um at all. I was more kind of the social butterfly going through school. And um, when I was an adult, uh, I guess about 28 years ago, we moved to Arizona and then um, raised my three kids um, and then got remarried and lived my adult life in Arizona. Awesome. I love the intro. So what about uh, as a kid growing up in Seattle, brothers, sisters, how, what's the family situation? Yeah. So growing up, I had a younger sister and an older brother. And uh, my older brother was into sports and we both were on the swim team together and he was an all-star. Everything he did, he did amazingly. And everything I did athletically, I did horribly, <laughs> but I always had the enthusiasm. So whatever I did, I was having a good time. I was just never that great at it. And so my brother was. Um, so that's why in my mid thirties, finding running was a bit of a surprise to people who grew up with me. <laughs> Interesting. So we're a we're team middle children. Yeah. Oh, there we go. So yeah, we got that in common for us for sure. And the older brother was a rock star. My older brother was uh was pretty awesome in his own right. You know, academically and sports, and he was always our measuring stick. And you know, my mom would always like pull that one out. You know, if we weren't getting A pluses or whatever, or you know, doing as well as she expected that we would do in our particular sports. But interesting. So you weren't really competitive. You know, you weren't rocking it as a kid. So it, yeah, that had to be fun. So people like all of a sudden are hearing about what you're doing and running. You know, when you when you get involved with the sport, it's a surprise. Uh, so that's that's definitely a twist, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because like I said, I was not athletic at all. And so anybody who knew me, after they kind of researched my or found out about my running career, they're like, uh, is that the same Susan? It can't possibly be. So but don't get me wrong, I was definitely competitive as a kid. And as a young adult before I started running, um, I worked for Nordstrom. Um, and then I was an outside sales. And no matter what I did, I always tried to do my best. And um, I wasn't necessarily competitive with other people, but I always wanted to know that I was doing my best and I would use them as a, a bar to kind of measure myself, you know, if somebody was better in sales. And so I always had that inner drive to be good. I just didn't know it was athletics. Love it. Um, I think part of that, you have to tell me, you give me your feedback. Part of it is being team, team middle child, because, you know, I just think that's in our nature, right? Is to measure stuff and see how we compare. Um, and I always felt like not just, you know, looking, uh, looking competitively against my own brother and how well he did in school and sports. I looked at my younger brother too, but also looked at all the other kids on the other teams, just like something that was always in me personally. How was he doing in the science fair? How was he doing at that? And then, you know, using that, looking at who the best people were or how they were the best at something. And I was like, well, man, I want to, 
I want to be as good as Susan or I, I want to be as good as Jim or I want to, I want to, I want to bat lead off, man. I don't want to bat second. I want to bat lead off. I want to be the first guy in the box, you know, starting the game. So how much of, of it do you think it comes from there or you just think it's something we're born with that has nothing to do with being middle children? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think it is because I was a middle child. I mean, maybe it was, I mean, as far as like talking about my childhood and how my brother was better in athletics than I was. Um, but then once I got into the adult world and I was in sales, um, it was really the other people that motivated me. I could see what, you know, if they could do this good, then I can do this good. Right. And so any, if somebody can do something, then you can too. And so I think that's kind of how I was. I think that's what brought me to be the competitive person or the competitive runner that I am was just more watching other people succeed. And it's like, I want some of that too. And if they can do it, I can do it. So. Heck yeah. I mean, how else, how else do we, uh, strive to be the best. You got to pay attention to what your competitors are doing. It doesn't matter if it's sales in Nordstrom or, you know, you're working in the healthcare industry or you're a runner or a triathlete, whatever it is. I mean, you have to pay attention to who's performing well and, you know, what does it take? And, um, you know, in this, uh, world that we live in today, um, uh, I'd love to get your take on this. Cause I just feel that everybody is looking for the hacks in life. They're looking for the shortcuts in life. They're always looking for the easiest way to get to the finish line, to get to first place without actually doing the work. And, you know, I think that's why I'm such a huge David Goggins fan, because literally Goggins is the exact opposite of that. And he will tell you like, there are no fucking cheat codes with the F word in there. Like you need to do the work. You need to look in the mirror and you need to tell yourself if you really are fat and people are telling you you're fat and you are fat, then do something about it. Or if you're lazy and you're not working hard enough. And, you know, I mean, I just think it may not be politically correct. Actually, we know it isn't politically correct, but you know what? You got to call shit on yourself at times. You got to really be honest and look at where are you? And then most importantly, where do you want to get to, right? How else do you get to be one of the best people in running and try or in any sport for that matter, if you're not willing to look at and evaluate like where you are starting out? Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Actually, David Goggins, that was one of my favorite books. I love that. I love somebody who just decides, you know what, I want to better myself and does something every single day to improve themselves. And then of course, Sam, he goes to the ump degree and is absolutely incredible. Um, and no excuses. I mean, that has, I think I wrote that when I was writing something, answering the questions for you. Um, that's my mom raised me that way. I mean, no excuses were ever allowed. She always told me you can do anything you want. Do not give me an excuse. Um, you know, if I fell down, it's like, okay, that's fine. You know what? You're still amazing. Get back up and keep on going. And so I think with that, that kind of drove me through my life too. You know, just always knowing that my mom was always saying, you know, do your best, be your best. You are the best and fail yourself to success. And so that's what I've always done. What a great mindset and what great training provided by your mom, because, you know, look, man, the only way we're ever going to get really good at something is if you think about going all the way back, you talked about growing up and coming back at dark. Um, hell, we did we barely even had any TV shows to watch. I mean, we didn't have any of these distractions that kids have today. So it is a blessing for us. You know, the people of our age group, you know, that are in their 50s or their early 60s, like us. Um, I'm sick early 60s, your 50s. Um, so we just didn't have those other distractions. Our distractions were we went out to find them, you know, playing right, tag yeah. in the park. You know, if we were bored right. playing baseball afternoon, then we had to find something else to do. So we played tag or some other crazy game or, you know, whatever. And I don't think it really mattered whether you were a girl or a boy at those ages. It just, you were going to find something to do because you needed to kill a certain number of hours. And man, when we came home, we were exhausted. We were dead tired. 
Um, oh yeah. We were hungry. We were tired and yeah, ready to go to bed so we could do it again the next day. <laughs> yeah. So our parents had it right. They knew what they were doing because, you know, we would burn ourselves out or exhaust ourselves, but, um, great advice by your mom. She wasn't going to accept any excuses. My mom didn't either. It was just like, nope, don't want to hear about it. Come back from the park bleeding. You know where the band-aids are. Go pat yourself up. Go back to the park. Like, you know, no one's going to be soft over here. You know, we're not going to be giving you the soft love. Like, go fix yourself up. Go back and play with your brothers. Get back on your bike. Go ride to the park. Um, and I wouldn't trade that for anything, man. It made me who I am. And I'm sure it had a huge impact on who you are. And way outside of running, just as a human being, as a mom, as an adult, and, you know, as far as those lessons, you know, I know I was different as a parent. I wish I would have been exactly like my mom, but, you know, I was softer with my son and I wouldn't change how he's grown up for anything. But were you like similar to the way your mom was with you or did you, you know, how was your own parenting style with your kids? Yeah, I think it was actually pretty similar. Um, I raised boys. My mom raised two girls and one boy. And so I think with boys, um, Again, I mean, if they'd fall down, I'd like, are you dying? Are you bleeding death? They'd be no. I'm like, all right, brush yourself off and get up. So I was nurturing, but yet I was, um, I didn't baby them. Um, but then what my mom gave me, I think the greatest gift she gave me is self-belief because she always believed in me. So I was never afraid to try. I was never afraid to file or to fail because I had that amazing safety net. So that is one thing that I wanted to make sure that I did as a mom to my kids. Um, I wanted them to always be their best, to try their best. I don't care if you want to be a, a vet in life, or I don't care if you want to be, um, you know, poor cement, whatever you want to do in life, just be your best, have fun, be passionate, you know, of course, make a difference along the way. So yeah, I think I raised them very similar to the way I was raised. Um, because I gave them that safety net, that self-belief so they could do anything they wanted in life. Beautiful, beautiful. And are they athletic themselves? Yeah, actually they are. Um, my, as I, we were talking golf a little bit earlier, my middle son is well, he was an amazing baseball player in high school. And then in his senior year in high school, he took up golfing and turned out to be an amazing um, golf player and then later turned pro. But then in the middle, when he was in college, he played soccer. And here, I'm just going to share a funny story about my son. Okay, so talk about self-belief. So, you know, I always told him they could do anything they wanted. So he went to college, um, wasn't quite good enough to get on the baseball team or the golf team. So he decided to try out soccer. And he did play soccer as a toddler. Um, you know, and maybe when he was six, I can't remember, but when he was very young, um, but he decided to try out for the ASU soccer team. So he was trying out and the coach pulled him aside. He's like, Hey buddy, how'd you learn all those moves? And he was like video games, you know, cause he played video soccer and the coach just laughed him off like, Oh yeah, ha ha. But he, it's true. That's how he did. But he had enough confidence to go out there and enough athletic ability to try out for the ASU, uh, ASU soccer team ended up playing for them for four years, team captain and doing amazing, you know? And so I think that's a great story of just, you know what? Anybody can do anything. You just have to try. That is an awesome story. And thank you so much for sharing it because um, so many times in life, we just figure, well, I'm not prepared enough for this or I haven't, you know, put enough effort into this or this fork in the road takes me over here. I don't know if I'm really supposed to go that way. You know, he had baseball, he had golf, you know, and he's at Arizona State. You know, he's not at some small division three school no, somewhere. Okay, no. this is not some really small school in like Podunk where he's like, okay, I'm going to try out to play soccer. He goes out and tries out for soccer and plays division one college soccer. That's a huge, it. Yeah. huge deal yeah. and becomes yeah. captain. Okay, so like for that, <laughs> so, so there, there is your self-belief story. There it is right there from, from your mom 
passed along from you to your son to be able to just say, I'm going to do this, man. Be fearless. Take a chance. Take a risk. And what's the worst that can happen? So you get cut. Or maybe you're on the team and you never play, but he not only makes the team, he becomes a captain. So that's an awesome story. And thank you. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. The only crime is not trying, right? Yeah. But anyway, so that's the middle son. And then the um, youngest son is a firefighter. And he was an amazing um, all-star lacrosse player in high school. And then after high school, started um, skydiving. Um, almost gave me a heart attack. <laughs> but when he started skydiving, decided he wanted to really get into it. Um, I used to go and watch him skydive and almost throw up every single time because, you know, it's very dangerous. Um, but instead, I decided to educate myself and find out that it's actually not that dangerous if you're careful and your mom buys you the best equipment, <laughs> which she did. And so then I started going out and watching him skydive and cheering for him saying, oh, yeah, that was a great landing or that wasn't a great landing. Um, and he did really amazing at that. And then now he's a firefighter, decided he wanted to actually have a living and make money because skydiving really doesn't provide a great living. And um, so, yeah, so now he just stays fit and is a good, great firefighter. And then my older son, um, CrossFit, I'm actually just started writing his first half marathon plan. So I'm kind of excited about that. He's going to do the Whiskey Row half marathon. Love it. I love it. Proud mom, three boys. Very, pr um, yeah, very proud mom. Yeah. Yep. And my mom raised three boys. So I, I just give the extra, you know, the extra clap, a golf clap, a full clap. Roberta Groner was just on. She's raised three boys in her high school. Like any mom that's raising three boys to me, just, I know, I know I have the history. I know what three boys a year and a half apart can do to a mom, a mom and a dad are like a fleet of people, man. God bless. Um, you deserve all the love and respect. And I'm sure your boys uh, give that and have that for you. And uh, it's just awesome moments to see them grow up and get involved and do whatever it is they love and uh, be doing something and, and doing something in the community, which is beautiful. So let's talk about where you get your first start in running. Um, when, when does it first come to you? Um, and how do you find it? And you know, where did you think that was going to take you when you first got involved? Well, when, when I first started running, um, I was actually in my mid thirties and we had just moved from Seattle, Washington to Phoenix, Arizona. And, um, I had no friends because obviously I was in a new place and my youngest son was just born and I hadn't really quite established myself. Um, so, and I used to be a salesperson or a sales, a professional salesperson and very successful. And so it was really hard step to be a full-time stay home mom. Um, just kind of on your self-esteem because it's a thing. It's the most rewarding job yet. It's, it really is the most thankless job, right? Raising kids anyway. And so, um, I just started running just to get outside. And, um, the very first time I ran a 5k, I thought, you know, I still didn't know anybody. I'm going to sign up for this 5k. I ran a 5k, didn't think much of it, started walking away. And somebody pulled me aside and said, Hey, what was your time? I don't remember what my time was, but I told them, they're like, Oh, you might've won your age group. I'm like, Oh, what does that mean? They're like, well, they have age group awards. I'm like, Oh, okay. So all the, um, the results were posted on a tree. So I walked over this tree and I saw that I was fourth. Well, if I would have been first, second or third, I would have won a free pair of sneakers. So I'm like, Oh my God, all I have to do is run faster and I can win a pair of sneakers. This is awesome. Anyway. So that kind of got my juices flowing. And so then I started running and um, I was at preschool and one of my first friends, um, she's like, she saw me in my running clothes and she's like, oh, um, my husband is a runner. I'd like to introduce you to him. Maybe you can run with him. I'm like, oh, okay, that would be great. And so his name was Mike 
And he took me under his wings, like, hey, you want to train for a marathon? I'm like, sure, what's a marathon? So he told me, you know, 26.2 miles. And so we literally started running a, or started training for a marathon. And together we completed the San Francisco Marathon in what was 1998. And I ran about four hours, a little bit over four hours, maybe four or one, whatever. Um, However, when I crossed that finish line, it changed my life because it could have been six hours. It didn't matter what, but I finished and it was not easy. And so once I crossed that finish line, I'm like, I can freaking do anything I want. That is amazing. And so hoopling, you know, I was, we were jumping up and so excited. And then after that, I'm like, well, if I can run four hours, surely I can qualify for the Boston Marathon, right? And so I think at the time, my qualifying time was, I don't know, maybe 3.30 or something. And so we started training for the Sam or the San Diego Rock and Roll Half or Marathon. So I could qualify for Boston. And my second uh, marathon, I qualify for Boston. And so I'm like, oh, cool. So um, then I ran Boston. I don't know what I ran Boston in 328 or something like that. And um, then after Boston, I just kept running. And um, I ran the Tucson Marathon in like three hours or something, 303. I can't remember. And somebody's like, oh my gosh, you could qualify for the Boston, you know, the um, Olympic trials. I'm like, whoa, what are the Olympic trials? I mean, literally that naive. And so, um, so I started training for the Olympic trials, hired a coach and that's how my running career started. <laughs> that is pretty amazing stuff right there. Um, and I, let's take, let's put a take a little pause so we can go back before we start getting into when you really, really get after it and get a coach and really start to, uh, to go towards some of these crazy goals that you've been able to hit in your running career. So the first experience to me is always the most telling. You go to the tree, you see that you're one spot away from winning a pair of sneakers. I mean, see, that just, that's, you were either wired that way or we're not. I mean, there's some people who just be like, oh, okay, I did pretty good. Like, and just be like, whatever. But you're like, oh man, I was one place away from getting those. I'm going to do this. Like, there's, there's the kind of people in life that are always going to say, okay, now I have to go up to this next level. Now I got to go to that level. And there's one who are just very happy and content. And again, you're not better. I'm not better. They're not worse. Just, we're just all wired differently. And, um, some of us are just running for the pure joy of putting one foot in front of the other and don't really care one bit about where we place in an age group or, uh, qualifying for Boston or ever running in the Olympic trials and others, you know, are the other part of my show, the ones who are just that top, you know, whatever percentage that it is, I don't even know what percentage is, but just the ones who are just going to, you know, go to the mat, if you will, whatever it takes to always be the best, um, to do all the other little things that it takes to stay fit, to stay healthy, because the older you get, starting from your 30s, by the way, when I say older, it doesn't have to be 40s, 50s, 60s, the older you get, the more miles you run, the more races you run, you have to be so aware and attuned with your body to stay healthy. So yes, I just, absolutely. I just think it's fun that not the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all, we all have, and we'll have plenty of time to dive into that, but I just think it's so cool that that was your first real experience. You know, you didn't even know what you ran. You're ready to leave, you know, and then you go to a tree because that's the way it was back then, a tree or a car or a van. The race yeah, results. Somebody are, nailed it, the results up yeah, to a tree and yeah. I just found my name. It's like fourth place. Oh, Okay. <laughs> 
And for all the nouveau runners that we're talking to today, we just whip open an app and, you know, we're online and we see our age group place and our age graded time and all these other wonderful things that didn't exist. And we were waiting for a printout or, you know, and hang around and, you know, then usually they would do the award. So um, it's, it really has changed a lot. And, you know, I think COVID's had a change on things too, the way we finish up a race or race results. But so that's you getting your feet wet, getting involved, meeting someone who says, let's train for a marathon. That's generally where it all starts. We have to have somebody, whether it's a team, a group, a person, someone who's going to either get up early in the morning and run before work, or they're going to run at night, or they're going to meet you on the weekend. So that's your first real connection. Um, and then you, you qualify for Boston. Okay. You run your first Boston, and then you're practically already already at sub three where we stopped you. So 303, and that's the point where you're going to get a coach and you have met a running group at this point. What is the running group that we're talking about at this point? Um, at this point, um, it was Brett's Banditos. So Brett Schumacher, who was my first coach. Um, so I ran, I met them, I was doing a half marathon and I met this group and they were all supportive of each other. They were waiting for the other teammates to come in, you know, on the side, cheering for each other. And I was just watched them and, you know, I was just kind of by myself, um, maybe with one other person. I'm like, I want a piece of that. That looks like fun. Look at all those people hugging each other, supporting each other, cheering people on. So I went up and I started talking to them. They're like, oh, yeah, we're Brett's Banditos and Brett's our coach, you know, and I'm like, oh, I would like to meet Brett and I would like to run with you guys. And so that's kind of how it all started. And so um, I met Brett and uh, Brett took me underneath his wing and I said, you know, hey, I think I want to. Oh, no, no, that hadn't happened yet. So I met Brett and then, um, then I started training seriously for the Olympic trials because they thought I could do that. And then that's when I ran Tucson and actually, yeah, I won it. So that was my first time I ever won a race. So, but anyway, so yeah, so Brett took me under and pretty much taught me everything that I know to this day. And, um, I, again, like any runner out there knows running is fun and succeeding is fun, but there is nothing like the running community, the relationships that you make the people that you meet, the support that you get um, with our running community. It just, it changed my life. I mean, again, I moved to Phoenix and I didn't know anybody. And then I met this running community and all of a sudden I had this entire group of friends, a supportive coach, um, a life that I never dreamed of. Well, you just underscored that so beautifully um, because so many of us have to do it solo at points. You know, you're now a stay-at-home mom. You're not at Nordstrom's anymore being one of the top salespeople where you get that recognition and you get to feel like that special piece of yourself. Like, Hey, I'm one of the top people. I'm a contributor. I'm doing this. And now you're in that mom role. Like you said, Hey, it's not like, uh, the kids at that age, we weren't doing that with my mom. We weren't coming home and go, gee, mom, you're the best mom ever. Like, I'm pretty sure most boys or girls at that age are not telling their moms. Sure. They're telling them they love them for sure. Or their dads, but it, it is, it can be a thankless job. It can be an exhaustive job. So you find this group, you see them and you're like, I want some of that. And you, you just put yourself in there. And that's yeah. what it, that's what it takes. Um, mm -hmm. And I talk about this stuff on the show all the time um, for the people that aren't as extroverted as us, the people who are, are more introverted and they're more nervous about, you know, getting to know people in those social circles. I tell them all the time, try to put that fear aside. Don't worry about so much about what you're going to have to say to people to make friends with them. Just show up, just come in and say, I'm Susan, I'm Ron. I want to try to run with your group, run with your team. You don't have to be a social all-star or super friendly um, in those kind of settings. But if you just come to an organized team run, 
for whatever it is, you know, Brett's Banditos, Central Park Track Club, Santa Monica Track Club, name a team. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be in Duluth, Minnesota. Just show up, put yourself out there. All right. And if you go just like anything else in life, habits change by making consistent changes. Okay. So it doesn't take going to the gym once for the change to occur. It might take going three times, but after you go three times, you will not want to miss. You will figure out every other way on earth, not to miss going the fourth time in a row or the fifth time in a row, even if it revolves making 14 other changes in your day, because you now got yourself on this path. So, you know, you get in with this group, you're connected. And now it's not just about your own running. It's about being part of the collective group, right? How are they doing? What races are they focused on? Surely somebody in that group had similar goals to you. And even if they didn't, you know, Brett already is probably seeing long-term picture like, wow, you have some real talent. Like you already were down to 303. And then you said you won Tucson in like 2002. You know, you go from running some faster times now, now you're like winning a marathon. Okay. This isn't right. like a local, this isn't winning some like local race somewhere. So like, what was that like for you? You know, your first time, like in an actual like marathon, like winning a race, breaking the tape, what was that experience like? Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of back up just a little bit here because it was actually yeah, 2002, I won the Tucson Marathon um, and talk about like believing in yourself and the groups and stuff that you have. So I hired Brett, started running with the um, the Brett Banditos, and there was a group of girls all training for the 2004 Olympic trials. And so I was a good fit because that's what my goal was also. And so this is just a little story of where a group can be supportive and where a coach is absolutely amazing. So I was doing this. So I, I think it was like 2000 and... So let's see, it was 2002. I ran, I have to remember these dates now. There's a long time ago. Holy cow. <laughs> anyway, so um, my first attempt was going to be in Duluth. So grandma's in 2002. And so I started training with this group, training for the Olympic trials. There was a new new running store that had just opened in Phoenix. Um, I can't remember the name. And so I went into this running store by myself. I was all excited to know, oh, I'm Susan Logan. I've got this great group. I'm training for the Olympic trials. So I'm telling the person um, who was running the store at the time, it doesn't exist anymore by the way, um, about my goals. And he was like, Oh, what's the best you've ran? And it was like a three Oh three or something. And he's like, there's no way you can possibly, you know, lower that to two forty five this quick, especially at your age. So I was in the dressing room crying because I'm like, Oh my God, this guy knows, you know, he was a college coach. He had all these credentials. I was just little old, you know, stay home mom from Arizona. Who am I? And he said, I couldn't do it. And so, and I believed him. So I was in there crying. I didn't buy anything. So I went out to my car, sat in the car, called Brett, my coach at the time. And I'm like, guess what? I am, it's not possible. I can't run the Olympic trials because I only have this much time and I'm this old. And I told him all the reasons why I can't do it because this person had just told me that. And he was like, that is absolutely ridiculous, Logan. You can do this. Put that out of your mind anyway. And so then after that, I ran the Duluth marathon in, um, like oh 252 or something and then I came back in December when I was still trying for the trials and I ran a 244 at the Tucson Marathon and won it um and I share that story because I want to tell the audience out there don't let anybody squash your dreams it doesn't matter if you're old it doesn't matter if you only have a year we don't know what our limitations are we don't know what are the possibility of our talent are, is and so if somebody doesn't believe in you just shoo them out of your life and go find somebody that does and continue forward. 
So anyway, I just had to share that story. <laughs> no, that's a, that's an absolutely fantastic story for a bunch of reasons. A, um, you know, starting all the way back to your mom with self-belief being a huge cornerstone, um, you know, a big piece for you of who you are. Um, that's been instilled in you since you were, since you were a little kid. So it's, it's unshakable, but we can be shaken. Okay. Well, yeah. You can go Especially into a running store. You so much more. That's right. You go into a running store with a guy who actually has some credentials. He's been a coach. He knows about college running and all kinds of other stuff. And he starts throwing all this shit in your direction. Yes, we can all be shaken. Okay. But at the end of the day, your coach believed in you the same way your mom did. He like got you right back on course. He recentered you. All right. And you know, at the end of the day, you could have been like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to be able to do this, or I'm not going to like spend all this time running all these miles. Or we choose like your son did to say, fuck that. I'm going to try, man. I'm going to be fearless. I'm going to go after this and I'm going to see what I can do. All right. And you know, again, your coach clearly believed in you. Okay. So that is a big piece. And then of course it had to help, you know, that you got the 252 because you're dropping from whatever it was, 303, 302 to 252. And, but it's a big jump down. Um, and that was at, uh, at grandma's and then, you know, come around to Tucson and you, you hit the standard. So like, that's amazing, you know, and that's all in a span of, you know, just a couple of years. So it's not like you were at this point, you still were only, only running for a short period of time, right? Yeah, well, I started in 98 and then I qualified in 2002. So was that four years? Yeah. yeah. So four years and your first trials, uh, which you go on to make three Olympic trials teams, right? So it's 04, 08, and 12. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's heady company right there. I mean, look, you can look through the men's and the women's trials results. There are not many people who run in three Olympic trials, okay? You know, three is really, it's, you know, you definitely will find a few, but there are not many people who've run in three Olympic trials. So that is like amazing, like totally, totally amazing. Um, so your first one in 2004, you know, qualifying, you know, what was that? I mean, first off, just, you know, getting under the standard, like, did you realize what a massive accomplishment it was to get there? Because, I mean, you're still really learning so much about the sport at this point. No, honestly, I didn't. Because my only, um, I think at the time, um, the standard was 250. I know it's lower now, but I did run a 244. But um, so it was 250. And it was at the Tucson Marathon. And one thing I do remember, again, it's just the power of people. And again, anything that I want people to take away from this podcast would be just listen to your words and your encouragement to other people. Cause they make all the difference in the world. You know, again, like Brett, believe in me, my mom, believe in me when I finished the um, Tucson marathon. No, I had no idea what I had just done. I actually remember running and there was a motorcycle in front of me. And I remember thinking, what is that motorcycle doing in front of me? That's just so weird. And then later I realized that that's the lead person motorcycle. Right. So this is how naive I am and how early in my career it was. And so then when I finished Heidi, um, I can't even remember her last name though. She was jumping up and down and she was like all excited. Um, she had coached the YMCA team, um, in my community. And she's like, do you realize what you just did? You know, this is like world-class standard. I'm like, what, what's wrong? You know, anyway, so no, I didn't know, but it was people encouragement and telling you what you have done and what you can do that made all the difference. And so her enthusiasm, again, that's something that sticks to me this day to this day. I can't remember her last name. But her enthusiasm about what I did was motivating and inspiring to me. So if you can be, ex, you know, ecstatic for somebody and enthusiastic and you can really make their day. So make sure you show your enthusiasm and support of other people. 
Yeah, it's a great message to share um, because that's what community is. Um, and it doesn't have to be marathon or Olympic trials or BQs. It can be a local 5K. It can be anything. Um, just encouraging somebody to take a chance, to take a risk. And um, for people that have been out of the game or coming back from injury or now in, in sense like with COVID, people who've been through long COVID or other things where they've just really struggled to find their footing again or get healthy again, um, there's always going to be fear. Um, or anyone who's really like taken on a real serious injury for the first time, you know, maybe a, a major stress fracture or something that they've never experienced before, which I personally did um, for the first time in 30 years of running. Like it, it's amazing what an impact it can have on your confidence. Like it's different than having, you know, tight muscles or sore calves or hamstrings or glutes or, you know, piriformis or any of the hundreds of muscle groups that are all related because of, you know, the wear and tear that our body um, has to go through for us to run and propel through space and time, whether it's on the road, on the dirt, wherever we're running, um, we're going to have this stuff happen. So be nice to your fellow runner, encourage them to come back and encourage them to believe in themselves. Like, you know, like your mom did, because, you know, that confidence can be transferred to another person. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's contagious. Yes. Yeah. And then we're doing, then we're doing something good for others. Um, and yes. then hopefully they're going to do that same thing for someone else that maybe is stuck on the sidelines or maybe not really feeling the love for the sport anymore. Um, and you know, so much of, um, you know, what I like to talk about with my guests are, you know, maybe you can't run your fastest times anymore because you've hit 50 or you've hit 60, but you know what? You sure as hell can run age graded times. You sure as hell can run times where you can measure your own performances versus yourself versus other runners trying to hit certain standards. So there's always something that we can do. You just have to figure out what's going to motivate Susan, you know, down the road, you know, to continue to have that soul of fire and be blazing for whatever it is that's, you know, got you feeling that way. Cause we have to find that. We got to, we got to find that to keep going and, and really be reaching for our best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So three Olympic trials, um, you have like a crazy amount of like historic running moments and races that you've been involved with. Um, we certainly can't go through them all, but I definitely want to go through some and talk about some, what some of those experiences were like, some of your recollections from those races, the buildups and like major like takeaways. So, um, do you want to talk about any of the trials races specifically, or maybe some of the masters, um, championship races you've been involved in, like anywhere you want to start is good with me, Susan. Um, so are we looking, so looking for something that was most impactful, um, best story I'll have to, in, in my running career, I mean, yes, I've ran three Olympic trials. Um, I've done the masters, you know, USA masters championships, you know, won a few of those, but the most impactful in my life was the more marathon. Okay. So the more marathon, um, this is, it's, it's, it doesn't exist anymore. The first one was in 2005 and what it was, it was four laps around central park, but it was a marathon just for women over 40. Okay. So you had to be a woman, you had to be over 40. So it was a masters. Um, and Brett at the time was my coach. And I just finished the um, 2004 Olympic trials where I'd placed 30th. Um, I was running really strong, hitting, you know, winning, you know, overall, not just masters. So sure, I was a master runner because I was 40 on my first Olympic trials. But 
I wanted to compete with the young girls at the time, right? I thought, you know, it's kind of cool that I can beat everybody, not just the masters. So that was my focus. And then Brett came to me because he did a lot of volunteering for the New York Roadrunners. And they were putting on this new more marathon. So he's like, they, you know, we'd really like you to run. And I kind of poo-pooed the idea, to be quite honest. I was like, you know, that's awesome and stuff, but why don't I want to go run in like a New York City marathon or a major marathon where there's I can compete against everybody, not just old people like me, right? <laughs> um, but he convinced me. So I ran it. Um, I ended up running it three times, but it was the best experience of my running career. So not the Olympic trials, not the USA Masters. It was the Moore Marathon. And the reason for that is the first year that I ran it in 2005, um, I ran it in 245. I won the Moore Marathon. And sure, I was excited about that. Of course, that was really awesome. And everybody else was excited. But while I was running it, during all those loops, every woman out there was cheering for me, um, inspired by me. And then at the end, different women would come up and say, you know, we came to the Moore Marathon because we'd heard that you were going to be here. Um, not because I was some hotshot runner, but just because I was just a mom from Arizona that had, I didn't go to college. I didn't run in college. I had a terrible athletic background. I came in last in all of my, um, I was on the swim team. I came in last. I was in basketball. Nobody wanted me on their side, right? Um, so these women were inspired by me. So that changed how I looked at running after that, after the more marathon, because I'm like, what I do can matter in the life of other people. So then when I went back to the more marathon the next year, um, I had a lady come up. She's like, look at, I, you know, convinced my aunt to run the marathon because if, sure, if Susan can do it. Anybody can do it. Right. Um, so that gave my passion was running, but then my purpose was to inspire other people in any way that I possibly could. So I think that was the transformational uh, period of my life. And um, thank you, Brett, for talking me into doing the marathon and ended up being to this date, besides my 50th marathon, my, on my 50th birthday, I ran a marathon. We can talk about that later, but um, the most inspiring marathon marathons that I've ever ran was the more marathon doesn't exist. I wish it did, but um, it just changed. So at that point I was just like, you know, I want to inspire other people and I want other people to have what I have. Like that day when I saw the group of runners supporting each other and my you know half marathon before I was a marathoner, I wanted that. So I got it. And then I found out people wanted what I have. So I want to share that. I want to spread that however I can. And so I've been able to do that through volunteer work and through coaching. So that's my favorite experience. <laughs> well, it's a great story and a great experience for a couple of reasons. Again, because it was a choice, right? So when Brad approached you with it, you weren't excited about it. You weren't gung-ho about it at all. Um, because I, and I can tell, cause it's definitely something that feeds me. I love competing against younger runners. I love running against runners that are 20 or 30 years younger than me. And, you know, in Berlin or in London or some other world marathon major and being like, all right, let's go. It's time to mix it up. We got 10 K to go. Um, you know, so that's just something we share. Um, but you never could have expected, you know, again, that's just women, just women over 40. It's in the park, my home stomping ground where I run thousands yeah. so and thousands know, yeah. of miles. I know how so hard it is. Four times. Yeah. I know how hard it is to run a marathon in Central Park, four loops. That is a brutally tough course to run on. And, and they did the men's Olympic trials there. It just, it's just demanding as hell. Um, it's really, really tough terrain. But at the same time, for spectators, they're getting a chance to see you a bunch of different times. And if they're veteran runners uh, of New York City and know the park, they could cut across the transverse and see you multiple times. So it is a good spot for spectating and viewing. 
but it's your first real chance. You know, you jumping in the pool with the other runners because you like the energy. I want to be part of this. I'm coming in the pool too is one thing, but it's your first chance to really see the impact that your own running is having on other people. Um, and, you know, them sharing that with you at the finish line and telling you that, and then coming back to that event the next year and seeing somebody else's mom there with their aunt, like it's, it's the point where you realize, Hey, what I'm doing is actually impacting other people. Um, and it's always a good reason to do something. I mean, we're, we're going to get the health benefits out of running anyway, but if by sharing our experience on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, that probably didn't even exist, you know, back then at that point, no, not, you not know, even a little. <laughs> yeah, I, it didn't, not even a little, but still you're sharing it with your energy. You're sharing it with your positive energy, talking to people after a race, maybe when you're warming up, maybe seeing them, you know, before the race or after getting your bibs, all those things that runners tend to do. Um, and runners do love to talk about running, right? I mean, hell, what, they do. why not, uh -huh. man? That's why we have podcasts, right? That's why we're talking to each other right now. Um, but you probably never in your wildest dreams could have imagined that other people would be paying attention to your own running. As you just said so eloquently, you know, being an athlete, you really weren't an athlete at all. You had no experience per se to fall back on. And, you know, here you are, you have other people that are starting to really pay attention to your own running now. And that's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah. So I think at that moment, I just realized, I mean, truly the, the measure of success isn't about my personal success. It was about the difference in, you know, the lives I can make or the difference I can make in other lives and, and inspire them. Um, because then they could have happy lives. Like I felt like I was having. So that yeah, was awesome. Yeah. And it, and it's a fun story because, you know, you're a mom of three, you know, you're not athletically before, you know, coming off of division one, all American playing in college, doing all this stuff. No, you know, literally you started training to run a 5k someone, a man you met local in the community says he's going to train for a marathon. A couple of things lead to another and you just went with the flow. Um, and that's it. So you listen to your inner voice in life, right? So you're somewhere along the way in all of these decision-making points, you know, when Brett's telling you to do the more, like you had to go along with it. You know, you could have been like, nah, that's not for me. I want to run bigger races. I want to do this. If you had, hadn't listened to your inner voice, you wouldn't have run those more marathons. You wouldn't have found out that you were inspiring other women to get off the couch and get out there and start running and say, Hey, if she's a mom of three and she can do this, you know, maybe I can't run as fast as her, but you know, maybe I can actually just run and start running because we need to do this stuff, man. We need to be active, man. We got to get up off the couch and do stuff. Oh, yeah. There's too many damn lazy people out there right now <laughs> making excuses. I don't want to hear about it. Get up and find something to do and get out there and get involved, man. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's not just about how you look or it's fitness and being physically active. I mean, with this whole COVID thing, it boosts your immune system. It boosts your mental uh, capabilities. So if everybody just finds a little bit of activity, whether it doesn't have to be running, it could be pickleball. Pickleball seems to be the big thing, right? Um, yeah. Whatever you want to do, it is powerful. It can change your life because it makes you feel better. And if you feel better, success breeds success. And the next day you're going to do a little bit more. You're going to do a little bit more. Um, and I think that's true happiness, just bettering yourself every single day. And you can do that. And through physical fitness, you're improving your health, your immunity. Um, that stuff I'm passionate about, so passionate about. And if I can inspire anybody to do that, then I'm going to. Yeah, no doubt, man. Listen, 
And um, there, there's a lot of people out there that might be listening to my show that have come through COVID and some did not have a serious case and were not really, you know, seriously impacted. Others, you know, had a form of long COVID and really, really struggled and really are still kind of fighting to find out, can they be that person again? You know, part of it is the same way when we have to overcome a serious injury of just saying, okay, man, confronting your fear. You know, I know... For me, having a stress fracture for the first time, like every time I landed on that one leg, you know, for the first few months, I I was like almost imagining pain that wasn't even there because I just was fearful for the first time. 30 years of being healthy, never having an injury like that, always just muscle things that anybody could get worked on by a chiro or deep tissue therapist or maybe a PT or just more core work at home or strengthening work. So yeah, like, you know, for anybody out there that's struggling, you know, you got to win the mental battle. You know, right now, you maybe you're not going to feel like yourself at all. Maybe you're not even going to feel one-tenth of what you're used to feeling. But I promise you, if you stick with it, it's going to get better. Um, and, you know, you're going to start to win the war slowly, you know. And you know what? Even if running isn't in the picture right now, find something else, you know. Get a Peloton bike, you know. Go take your dog on crazy long walks on the trails. I mean, you know, maybe your fitness journey doesn't look the same right now, but still, the only way to win is to be active and, you know, to, to be out there and do something to, uh, to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, just move. <laughs> yes. Right. Move is key. And by the way, onto the moving piece, you know, for that more marathon that was in New York city, you know, for anybody who's ever thought about running a marathon in central park four loops, you know, the 6.2 traditional loop, you know, 245, 35 is seriously moving. That's like seriously fast in Central Park. Let me tell you something. I know what it takes to run a 245 in Central Park. That is crazy fast and, you know, really, really impressive. Now, did you have anybody pushing you in any of those races or was it just you out there and, you know, you were just taking it, you know, kind of start to finish or did you have anybody like shoulder to shoulder with you running, running a big chunk of the race? Uh, the more marathons, um, tip, boy, you're really testing my memory, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> trying yeah um the first one no i don't remember anybody up there with me but who was pushed to me it was again four loops so you've got to remember this the runners that were behind me i'm passing them right so i'm passing a lot of women and they're cheering me on and that's what was inspiring and so i think with every time they cheered it gave me that spark of energy and kept me going and kept me going so really for the more marathon it was the crowd that was keeping me going. Um, it wasn't necessarily the competition. Um, I did have a competition one year. Um, they changed the more marathon because of the heat to a half marathon. So I think I've ran it three times. So it would have been the fourth time. So they changed it to a half marathon. And during that time, um, I had one other gal who was, we were about the same path, uh, the same pace. So we were running the more half marathon, just stride for stride for stride for stride. And so it was definitely going to be a kick at the finish to which one of us were going to win. But what we decided to do at the end, because we had pushed each other, we both were getting ready to run PRs for the half marathon in Central Park at the more marathon. Kind of cool, right? And of course, I was about at that point, how can this make a difference? So she and I, in the middle of this race, decided let's hold hands and tie the half marathon, right? Because there wasn't a marathon. It was the half marathon that year. Well, lo and behold, there was this, in this the half marathon, anybody could run, by the way, right? So you don't have to be over 40. It was just the marathon. So they canceled the marathon, half marathon. So it was Jody. That's right. So Jody and I were holding hands, ready to win the more half marathon, the one year they didn't have the marathon. 
some young girl decided to sprint past us at the finish line. Swear to God, this happened. And so I let go of her hand. I threw her hand down. I'm like, hell no, this girl's not going to win. Tried as hard as I could to the finish line. She still won. But so it was kind of sad. So our moment was she and I were going to, you know, we both were over 40, more marathon. The marathon was canceled. We're making, you know, lemon out of lemonade. We crossed that finish line. We were going to cross it together. And it didn't, it was me struggling with it, trying to just outkick that young girl. And I don't even know who she was, but she won. That was a crazy moment. <laughs> wow. That is totally wild, man. That's wild. Well, you know, look, you never know what's going to happen at the end of a race. I mean, right? that yeah. is that is totally crazy. And it would have been cool. I think I'm um, trying to remember in London one year, two men um, tied one year. Um, it was, let's see, it was the duel in the sun was Dick Beardsley and Alberto Salazar. So it was Dick right. Beardsley. And I can't remember who the other runner was in London, but they agreed. And it was one of um, one of the more famous Londons. You know, it was, it was a good time, a rainy year, whatever. But they they agreed to cross and and do that. So it's it's been done before. It's not like anyone hasn't done it. And it's it's kind of a sportsmanship thing, a cool thing. But, you know, you got a young a young girl who sneaks in and uh, steals. Sneaks steals. In at the very end. There was actually there was an article about it in Runner's World back then. It was that it was it was it was quite the moment. <laughs> there you go. There yeah, you go. But you know what? Hey, it was a race. We shouldn't have grabbed hands and slowed down a little bit to celebrate our finish, right? Yeah. So kind of, yeah. Kind of our fault. <laughs> I mean, that's nah, all good. You know what? It's just another another great. one of those life experiences, man. That you know, it's a, it's a great story. A great story even for today. Um, and out of your three trials appearances, um, w- was one of them a favorite? I'm worthy. I'm, I'm sure all of them were remarkable. You're proud of all of them. Incredibly proud um, to have the opportunity. Um, was one of them a favorite in particular or one race, uh, something really meaningful um, that you remember that you want to share? Well, you know, I'm going to share a story because I think it can be impactful about not giving up. So it was my very first Olympic trials um, in St. Louis. And um, it was probably about mile 18. And I was literally dying, right? I mean, you know, that's what happens at mile 18 at the marathon. And at that moment, I knew we were, let me think, yeah, we were looping. Yeah. So that was another loop course. And I was thinking about, okay, I can't do this. I cannot possibly hold this pace any longer. So I think I'm going to drop out. There's no place to drop out. So I think I'm going to drop out. I saw this big dumpster and I'll just drop. This is a, this is runner's brain too. Your, your brain kind of goes to mush when you're using all your oxygen and your muscles. Right. So like, I'm going to drop out and hide behind that dumpster. Right. So that was my thought. So when I get back to that dumpster at mile eight, it's going to be about mile 18. I'm going to drop out because I cannot, you know, maintain this pace. There's no way. And so then at mile 18, I got to the dumpster. I'm like, what the hell am I thinking? Get behind a dumpster. Then what am I going to do? I have to come back out. Well, this is ridiculous. So I'm going to keep on running. So I kept on running. And um, of course, when you think you can't, the tides always turn, always turn. So always hang in there. And so I kept on going. I didn't give up. I actually got stronger in that last 10K. And um, so I finished the Olympic trials in, oh, don't quote me, but it must have been about a 244 again for the 2008 Olympic trials. And um, I was 30th overall. But had I given in to that pain, had I given in to that when my mind started going, you know, I can't do this anymore, I wouldn't have experienced that. And so I think that Olympic trials just taught me Never to, I always knew never to give up, but really taught me when you're in pain and you're suffering and your mind can't even think of anything positive, don't hide behind a damn dumpster, keep running, wait for that second wave of 
energy to come. It will come, but just, you know, outlast it. Um, so I think that is a great le- uh, story to share because it's a valuable lesson. Don't give up. Even when it hurts, don't be hide, don't hide behind a dumpster. Just keep going and you might be 30th in the Olympic trials. Another amazing story. You're winning storytelling awards um, as great examples, but um, there's no runner who's ever come on the show. There's no runner who ever will come on the show who hasn't hit some point in a marathon that is literally convincing themselves what their exit plan is going to be. Well, it's 85 degrees. Um, uh, my friends are going to be at mile 18. I'll just like drop out with them at mile 18. Every runner who has ever laced them up and run a marathon has had some moment out there where they just said, this is going to be my exit plan. This is where I'm going to leave, including the great Deslin. And in the year she won Boston, when yeah, she was telling yeah. Shalane it wasn't her year and she was going to drop and she waited for Shalane to go to the bathroom. So there's something about that moment. When we, when we start this constructive plan of how we're actually going to leave the race, hide behind the dumpster. My friend's at mile 18 in London. I'll stop and hang out with him and his kids and take a few selfies and he'll get me to the finish line somehow. I don't know. But we, we've somehow take this whatever pressure, whatever it is, and it's pressure is probably not in the right word, whatever. We're just not feeling the way we want to feel in that moment, just as you said so eloquently. We're not feeling the way we normally feel physically, mentally. So- we somehow take pressure again is probably the wrong word. We just take the expectation off of ourselves at that moment and say, I'm going to go hide behind the dumpster. I'm going to jump out at mile 18. I'm going to do this. And then somehow we get through that patch because that's really all it is. It's a patch where we're struggling. Maybe our breathing's a little off. Maybe we're having a side stitch. Maybe we're having some stomach cramps from our gel or our not enough fluids, whatever the hell is going on. But if we somehow can construct the story, the exit plan. We come up with something to distract ourselves. We free ourselves in those moments. And then suddenly Des is back in the race. Suddenly Des is catching up to everybody again. Suddenly she's holding up way better than everyone else. And before you know it, she's actually in the lead and they're all chasing her. So in your case, you have eight miles to go. That is not a short amount to go in a marathon for everybody listening at home, eight miles to go when you're running at a really fast pace and you end up finishing 30th. But somehow... You're able to keep going. And then when you get to the dumpster, it seems like the most ridiculous thing in the world. But (laughs) this is what it takes sometimes. Lie to yourself. Tell yourself a story. Come up with some crazy plan and make it through to that next section. Because behind me, you can see in the Zoom screen, there's the show motto, stay in the fight. That's the hashtag like and the like mantra it. of this show is stay in the fight. Yeah, and it's, it's not stay in the fight. Yep, yeah, I like it. Yeah, and it's not just about running, it's about life, man. It's about the decisions in the road that we get to when you know we think, hey man, maybe our best is behind us or whatever. No, 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 man. We're gonna stay in there. We're gonna figure this out. We might have to re-engineer things a little. Maybe we're not gonna check out at the dumpster. Maybe we are gonna keep going. And guess what? You kept going, 30th place in the trials, you got it done. And imagine if you had given yourself permission that day and you actually did just pull over on the side of the road. Imagine, you know, of course, you'd still probably be on my show. You'd still probably feel every good about a bit as excited about running as you are. But you know what? It's way better that you didn't, you know, that you found your way through, you stayed in the fight. And you shared that lesson, man. You shared that story because somebody else out there is going to hit a tough patch in a race now and go, I remember that story Susan told on Run Chats about the dumpster at mile 18 in the Olympic trials, and she ended up coming in 30th. So awesome story. Great example. Thank you. (laughs) 
So yeah, so then I ran the um, 2008 was in Boston. Um, it was the loops. I don't know if you were there. Did you go into the Olympic trials? No, watch? no. I have okay. only New York City, which was in Central Park. Um, but I've watched a ton of them on TV. But um, I love, you know, if I had the opportunity to go to more, I would. I went to Atlanta. Um, so Atlanta and New York City are the only two I've ever seen in person. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But um, yeah, so the, I mean, I guess all of the, all three of them were special in their own way. I just shared that story because I thought it could be impactful to other people not to give up during the tough times, which are going to happen during a marathon. Um, but then the Boston Marathon, not the Boston Marathon, but the um, uh, 2008 Olympic trials were in Boston. And um, that was special because my parents were able to go. My sons were able to go. Um, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he was able to go. And I had, I think, 20 of my uh, girlfriends all came. And they were, I had trained them. I was a coach by that time. And so I trained them and they all qualified for the Boston Marathon, which was going to be the next day. And so it was super special, that one, because it was looped so they could see me every time and cheer. And I knew my kid, even though I couldn't hear my kids, I knew that they were in the stands at the, every time we looped around the original Boston finish line, um, were there. And I ran my fastest, I can't remember what I ran, like a 242-ish. Um, and so my time was great. The support, the love, which is literally sharing it with other people. I guess Boston, the second Mar um, Olympic trials is impactful because I got to share it with almost everybody that I love, right? My, my kids, my parents, my boyfriend, husband, um, and all my girlfriends. And, um, I ran a fast time, which was kind of fun, you know, icing on the cake. And, um, then the next day I watched all of those, the girls. So they all, all 20 of them ran. So that was great. A beautiful experience with the family, with your friends, with the people that matter to you most. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you just as you said, even if you can't hear them, you know, with the screams because it's loud and everything's going on, you just know they're there and you can tap into that love and that energy. And man, you want to make them proud, man. You want to you want to show them what you have. And you did. And you did. Yeah. Well, you and, want to, yeah for, if, for me, it's like it's just sharing it with them. It's like any of us that succeed in life or do anything that's amazing it's not fun if it's just for you, right? It doesn't really mean anything. And so when you can share it with other people and other people are excited about it and they're getting something out of it, that's when it really touches your heart. That's when it really matters. Oh yeah, 100%. Um, and even if none of them are runners, it doesn't matter. There's still takeaways that transfer across to the rest of our lives about our spirit, our energy, our competitiveness, our fire. Um, and that's where I, I want to take you next because... Um, I think, you know, if one trait that everyone shares that of the people that I have the conversations that I enjoy the most, it's really, that's really what it comes down to, man. There's just this like unquenchable fire, this drive, this competitive spirit in people that I have these conversations with. And it's the blessing because, you know, not everybody has that. And again, that's, those people are amazing. Some of my friends who don't have it, they're some of my best friends in the world, but the people that I align the closest to the people that I'm the most inspired by, they have that, they have that drive, they have that passion. Um, so for you, you know, where do you think it comes from? Where does that passion come from? Well, I think kind of like what I shared earlier. I mean, just, be, I mean, my mom started it all. I'm going to give her a lot of the credit just because she taught me to believe in yourself. And if you believe in yourself, you can accomplish anything. And, um, and if you're not afraid of failing, um, you can accomplish anything. And so I was always a self-confident kid. I was never afraid to get, you know, I mean, I got, we all get teased, right? So I mean, I got teased as a kid. Um, you know, again, I wasn't athletic at all. So people would, you know, I was the kid in the 
PE class and how you used to pick your teams, I was always who got stuck with Susan, right? Always the last one. And so, but again, I think inside, I wasn't afraid to fail because I had that support, that safety net in my mom and, and my dad, of course. Um, and so, and it just, it felt good to me, even as a kid, as I remember, even when I, you know, even if I finished last in my swim, you know, I was in swim team, I did the hundred free or whatever, even if I finished last, if I knew I gave my all that feeling inside of accomplishment is priceless. You know, it doesn't matter if you win, it doesn't matter if you lose, but if you've tried your hardest and during that time had a few failures on your way, I think I got addicted to that feeling. And so that feeling, it just feels so good and you, that really makes you feel alive. And so, of course, I was young when that kind of trans, when that happened, but as I've gotten older, I still want that feeling, you know, that feeling of success, that feeling of trying hard. I, I love to fail because it means that I'm actually getting closer to what I'm trying to achieve. And so um, where does the fire come from? It just comes from within because it feels good to be your best self. And I knew that as a young age, and I know that I'm almost, I'll be 59 next month, and I still know that. Um, That's why I'm trying new things now, because it's fun to learn new things, and it's fun to fail, and it's fun to succeed. And so I think that drive just comes from from within. And it it feels good to, that's that's how I live life to its fullest. Well said. Um, Hanta mindset mantras, yours. And again, you may not have one, you may have many. Um, that you've used over the years. Um, and, you know, in my case, you know, the show is known for staying the fight and I kind of use it in my in my real life as well. But there are other races where I'm feeling other things. I have other thoughts and words that I'll speak to myself. Um, and not just when things get hard, you know, maybe in the middle parts when they're really not that hard yet, but I kind of know what might be coming. So what are some things you think about and do you have like any specific go-to stuff that you use um, for your races? Well, the thing honestly, what I do the most when I'm running and, and it's isn't anything exciting is I count because I negative mindset is very hard to, once you get into that place in a race, when it's really difficult and your mind starts to become negative for me, I mean, sure. I can say, um, you know, I am strong. I am powerful. I am amazing, but I try to run in the mile that I'm in. And the only way I can get my mind to go back to positive is I just count. I mean, I'll count to hundred over and over and over and over again. Um, so say, you know, my hamstrings hurting or my sides hurting or whatever, I'm just counting. So I'm not, you know, focusing on that. So I count long enough to where eventually my mind, the negative thought will leave my mind. And then I'll start thinking something more positive, you know, that I train for the hard, um, my favorite. And I tell all of my runners, this is the tides always turn. Most people give up right before the tides turn. I mean, seriously, um, hang in there because it will turn. It might be a mile. It might be two miles whatever. And so I use that one. And I also tell myself, I train for the hard. Um, anytime a race starts to feel too easy, I know I'm going too slow. So if it's comfortable, you're not reaching your potential. You're not running your hardest. So I never let the pain lessen. Um, I never let my mind go into the gutter. And if it does, I count until I forget whatever gutter mantras were happening and start to think something positive. So and it's always different. I even if I have mantras prepared before a race, I don't necessarily use them because you don't know how you're feeling. You're not you don't know what mantras can help you at the moment. So I have a pocket full of mantras and whatever connects at the time, then that's what I use. But again, counting's the best method that's gotten me through some really rough patches during marathons. I like it. 
because um, it gives you the, the ability to adapt. And the same way in a race, we can lay out a race strategy. We can have our plan. We can know exactly what our fueling is supposed to be, in air quotes. Um, but then again, there are days when we can't get gels down. There's days when we're going to be forced to rely on only fluids or um, maybe we're going to have to have salt tablets or just other things. I mean, we might come into a race just not feeling well. We might be sick. We might not be at 100%. So, you know, there will never be a one-size-fits-all plan for a race plan, and there will never be a one-size-fits-all plan for nutrition. You're always going to have to modify that. So the same thing that you're talking about here with mantras is, yes, you have to be able to have different strategies. Counting is brilliant because – the brain can only think about that at that moment. When you're counting, it's now distracted from that other, you know, thought where you were going, which could become a spiral, which could start to slowly devolve. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's all right to give up. That's We don't say that out loud, but we do. We take our foot off the gas. We give in. We say, today's not my day. Um, we're not actually saying any of these things out loud, but that's what's actually going on. We're allowing ourselves to just give into the moment. Um, and you know what? It's okay maybe for 30 seconds. I tell people it's just a, something I've tried over the years that's worked for me. Um, if I'm really in a bad spot, like I mean like a side stitch or something that's really causing me pain or something else, I will just convince myself I'm in a fart lick run and I'm on the 30-second recovery section and I can, I'm can i allowed to ease off for 30 seconds and then I'm going to look at my watch and I'm going to go just like I'm in a real workout, just like I'm in a track workout and I'm coming off the float or something else. So... That's another, there's, there's a million ways. The point is you just can't mail it in. You can't give up. Um, I mean, unless of course you, if you're truly injured or something, or you're truly sick and you know, you're hurling on the side of the road, those are many, there are many reasons that you can, but, um, I'm talking, we're, we're talking about regular races where we're trained and we're fit and we're just, you know, in the, in the hurt locker, in the pain cave, in a struggle, in a struggle zone, or maybe even a minor, like minor, minor, minor kind of injury situation. So those are some great, great suggestions. And, uh, Dina's book is great. I'm sure you probably read it, but she talks a lot because I think people don't realize, you know, when we say the word don't and all these other things or, you know, I won't do this or don't do that. It's like our brain hears the negative. It doesn't hear the positive, the verb that's to come or something else. So I just try to tell people to really think about what words they're using too. Um, you know, like I won't quit. Like quit and won't like that's, that is not a good combination. Okay. You know, keep going is a lot better than, you know, right. you know, absolutely. You know, I will overcome, like there's a million other ways to say those same things that are basically in the exact same center, but be careful about the phrasing and the words that you're choosing because, you know, our brains are pretty amazing at like doing what they think they're supposed to do for us because when we're repeating phrases and words, right? It's just like positive self-talk versus negative self-talk, um, you know, right? I mean, I'm sure you've been yeah, there. Absolutely. And, you know, that that conversation you had with Brett after leaving the sneaker store, I'll remember that one for a long time because if you hadn't had that and maybe had it at, right at that moment, you know, it might've impacted you even more. But the fact that he was right there to have your back and like kind of take that on as the point counterpoint, it just recentered you. It, you know, got you back on course and back, back on path and look, look where it led to. So, um, right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, when you're running a marathon too, or any endurance or anything that's really hard, especially the marathon, I mean, we control the on and off switch. I mean, all you have to do is slow down a little tiny bit, as you know, and you feel so much better, you know? And so you just have to convince and, 
your brain doesn't know if you're, it doesn't know the truth. I mean, so it knows only what you tell it. So, you know, fake it till you make it. You know, that's what I say. You know, don't let the pain lessen and fake it till you make it and keep telling your brain positive. You know, if you don't believe it, keep saying that positive, keep saying that positive, reinforce it to yourself. And eventually your body and everything will follow. And so you just, you just have to somehow figure out what, however you do it, whatever tools you have, get the negativity out of your brain um, and fake it. Even if you have to, even if you're lying to yourself, you know, your brain doesn't know that. So. Yeah. It's great advice. And you know, what we're trying to do at the end of the day is we're just trying to chop down this race into smaller chunks, you know, because as you said, um, the tides will turn, you know, the, you mentioned that as something you've used, the tides will turn, the tides will turn, they really will. There's going to come a point where you're not going to be getting baked in the sun. Maybe you're going to get some cloud cover, or maybe you're going to get some buildings overhead, or maybe the breeze is going to go from dead in your face to over your shoulder or on your back. Like it will turn, it will, unless we're running Boston and, you know, in the year of the monsoon where we ran dead into the headwind, you know, and got doused and, you know, everybody ended up in team hypothermia, which I'm a proud member of. Um, so, but usually the tides will turn. We yeah. can't always say yeah. they always will, but in this case, right. yeah. you will, maybe, so we'll, true. Yeah, maybe we'll go with usually, but um, I love, I love those strategies all like really, really solid. Um, uh, one of my favorite questions to ask guests is darkest hole they've ever dug themselves out of and how, how did they do it? Oh, well, that is a good one. Um, well, the pandemic, I mean, I hate to, I never even share my pandemic story because I feel like everybody has a pandemic story and everybody's, there's so much, I mean, people have lost people, right? And people like, again, they're, the health is the most important. If you don't have your health, that's really tough. That's a tough thing. So I have my health. Um, so no, you know, don't feel sorry for me because I have a pandemic story. I guess that's what I'm saying because everybody does. And I'm sorry for everybody out there that lost people to COVID. My heart is definitely out there for you. But anyway, so my pandemic story, which was a dark hole, I have never really struggled with depression and I've never really been a sad person because I always find the happy and everything. Um, I choose to because if I'm sad, I just don't like to be sad. So, but the pandemic, um, in 2020 and you're an older runner too. So I know you can relate to this. Um, as you get older. So after, when I turned 50, um, you know, no longer was I winning open and I wasn't even really winning masters that much. I still was a little bit, but not as much anymore. So you have to find different things that motivate you and different huge goals that make you feel alive every day. Cause I love it there's nothing better than having an amazing goal. And every day you get up and you're so excited to get up, your feet hit the ground because you're going to train to reach this goal. So my goal for a long time has been to break 250 in my fifties and to um, break the world age group record. Okay. And that time, I think it was 251 or something. And I, in an attempt one time, I ran a 252. So I was very close to running, to break in the world age group record, 55 to 59 in women's. And so I was going to do that at the world, at the inaugural world age group championship in 2020 in London. So super excited. I mean, just as excited as if I was training for the Olympic trials or whatever. So that's, was my goal in 2020. Well, we all know what happened to that goal, right? <laughs> so in 2020, the London marathon, every marathon was canceled and, um, I've struggled. Anybody who knows me knows I've struggled with this hamstring thing on and off for years. Um, I actually even had it on, during my third, uh, Olympic trials, but at that particular time in the spring of 2020, my hamstring was perfectly healthy. I was running stronger than I had in my fifties. There was on paper. And I know myself after, you know, two decades of running, I was 
capable on a great day, of course, to run a 250. And that would have been good enough. Well, anyway, so it was canceled. So I continued training, you know, all the way through 2020. And then we thought that London was going to be fall of 2020. Well, that, of course, everything kept canceling. Um, so then comes January of 2021, um, I started having some hamstring issues. And then uh, London was supposed to be spring of 2021. So that was discouraging, but I was determined to you know, stay in shape. Well, then also, um, so I wasn't running really at that time. And um, then my mom got COVID. And so I know we've talked about my mom. I'm doing my cry here in this, but during this whole episode, and she is absolutely amazing. And so she's been my best friend, my best supporter. I've talked to her. I mean, I'm 59 years old. I've talked to her every day of my life and she was dying. So she was in the hospital with COVID. Um, she does have um, emphysema, diabetes, you know, a lot of, um, I think a lot of my athleticism is because my mom didn't take care of herself. And I've seen that she isn't living her best life because of her health. Um, and so that drives me to live my life, best life and to inspire other people because, you know, she, she could live a better life. It makes me sad. But anyway, so in uh, 2021, um, she got COVID. She was in the hospital for six weeks and I couldn't run to, you know, cause it was obviously distressful for me. I couldn't see her. I couldn't visit her because it was COVID. So I couldn't run to feel better. I couldn't run to let out the stress, the anger, the sadness. Every day the doctors were calling me every day. The doctor called and said that she was going to die. Her chances were zero because she was, you know, on not, she wasn't on a ventilator, but almost. Um, so we were preparing ourselves. I mean, to the point of they were saying where we'd come into the hospital, we could put on a hazmat suit. So my husband, and I could be with her when she died. This is how serious it was. And so that was super, super hard for me. So that was six weeks of that six weeks. And so I would hike and stuff um, and cry and try to get all my emotions up, but I didn't have running. So running was taken away from me. You know, we still didn't have group runs at the time. My mom was dying in the hospital. Um, it was, I think that was like my darkest time. Um, but as I'm about to cry, but she lived. <laughs> so this is the mom that told me that I could do anything. Anything was possible. Never give up. My mom never gave up. I became friends with a lot of nurses. So they would FaceTime me while she was in the hospital. And so of course I'd be crying, trying to be strong for her, but I always broke down when I talked to her FaceTime and, you know, she was like, honey, first of all, if I die, it's okay. She's, you know, got strong faith. God will be with me. Um, but I'm not going to die. She says, so would you quit crying? You know, but then the doctors would tell me that she was going to die. Long story short, she didn't die. <laughs> and to this day, she's still with us. I get to talk to her every single day. Um, and it's absolutely amazing. But the dark hole that I was in, it made me realize that running was my life. I mean, running, I always had these big, audacious, amazing goals um, that drove me. And then, of course, I was coaching and helping other people reach their goals. But that was taken away during the pandemic. Um, so I couldn't do it in person. And then it was disappointing. All of my athletes were, their races were canceled too. So obviously it wasn't just me. So anyway, so that led us. So then um, my hamstring still didn't get better. My mom was finally better. So that part of my life was um, okay. But it was the first time I'd ever experienced depression for six weeks. I've never, I've never been that sad in my entire life. And it just, it just kind of changed me. And so um London, I, so I still started training. I mean, I wasn't discouraged. I wasn't not going to make it, but my hamstring just never got better. And so then it went into the summer of 2021. My mom was better. So that part was great, but my hamstring wasn't better. So it really made me reevaluate my life because I'm like, everything I'm doing is hinging on 
you know, trying to break this world group record, which is an amazing thing to do. Right. I mean, but my hamstring was telling me different things. It just, every time I was doing VO2 work, you know, two workouts, it just wasn't cooperating. So finally the London marathon did happen. Um, and I didn't get a go. And so this is what I've been working for, for my entire fifties. So that was crushing. So that would be definitely the dark hole. So it took me a very long time. So I've been, I don't, I don't say spiraling or treading water. I don't know how to say it right, but reevaluating and trying to figure things out. I have to have more than running and I don't have to have these goals of Olympic trials and breaking the world age group records. I can just be, I can just do something that makes me feel better. And so that's kind of why I'm doing this whole trail running. I'm like, I'm not that great at it. So this is awesome. It's new. So every single time I do it, uh, an ultra, it's going to be a PR. Um, and I get to be outside, which makes me feel so good. I mean, the mountains up here in Breckenridge just fill my, fill my soul. And so I think I just needed that time or needed that crush to reevaluate myself and my running and put it where it belongs, you know? So I'm still me. I'm still can inspire people without doing these amazing things. Um, and who knows? I mean, right now my hamstring feels amazing, you know? And so I don't know where that's going to go, but right now I've decided, um, I'm going to do trail running and, um, live my best life living in Phoenix and in, in Breckenridge, you know, continue talking to my mom every day, being a great grandma, not a great grandma, but a grandma, <laughs> not a great grandma yet. And, um, I started working at a place called continental divide winery because I need something in my life besides running. And I'm super passionate about wine, not just drinking wine, but also learning about wine. And so now we're living in two places. I'm starting trail running. Um, I'm still coaching. Um, and I just feel amazing, but it took me a year to kind of figure that out. It took me a year to think, you know what? I'm still me. I can still be inspiring and I can um, still feel happy without having to do, I don't, I don't know, be the audacious goals. I can do just something more simple and just live a more balanced life. I don't think it was that balanced before. So that was my dark hole. My dark hole was just my mom figuring out a new path for my life. Um, running will always be part of it, but it doesn't need to be all of it. And so um, that's kind of where I'm at today. And now I'm just, I'm going to do my first ultra uh, 50K in September um, at, uh, I guess that's about 8,000 feet. So it's going to be in Buena Vista, just down the road here from uh, Breckenridge. And I'm super excited. I love to get outside every single day. The trees make me, the trees outside just fill my soul and make me so happy. And um, I think I have more balance. And it's like, if I don't win, I'm not that I'm going to win, but I, now it's just finished. I just want to finish. And where I finish, I finish. And um, that makes me happy. So that's okay. So what I'd like to tell to everybody out there that's in their late 40s, late 50s, 60s, whatever it is, um, it's okay. You don't have to keep doing what you were doing before. You can do other things. Just keep searching, keep soul searching until you find something that is exciting for you. And um, if it's exciting for you and it makes you feel good and healthy, then that's good enough. So there's my answer. <laughs> great answer. Great message. And, um, you know, it's a really tough, tough time to come through. Um, didn't have to end with your mom dying or multiple family members of you dying. And, you know, it's great that you're aware of how many people lost uh, people in that period of time and that you're, you're thinking of them even before giving your answer. It just shows uh, that you're thinking of others all the time, which is great. Um, but, yeah, I know what it's like 
to qualify for the world age group champs. I qualified and I came and I was able to run after a stress fracture, but I mean, it was, you know, I was somewhat embarrassed to run what I did. Um, but then I realized, and, and you get this better than almost anybody would like there, who, who am I embarrassed about? Like, or what, what would I be embarrassed about? That was the best that I could do. Um, and that's all I could do. Um, but I was so proud to be there. I was so proud to get that backpack and I was so proud to have that opportunity to run in the first one. And I, I did qualify for my second one this year and I'll be healthier. Um, but those are some really tough things to, um, to really examine and look at in terms of your life. Um, because yeah, there is, there is always going to be more, more to life and running our relationship with it can change so many times over our lifetime. Um, but it's never going to go away. You're never going to say, Oh no, I don't want any more running, but, um, you know, how we're looking at it, the lens we're looking at it through and how we're training for it and the expectations we're putting on ourselves and what's going to make us satisfied and happy can change so much. Um, so I applaud you for doing a deep dive on that and, and doing the self-critical work because there's only one person at the end of the day that's going to get the vote on whether you're going to be happy moving forward or joyful about where you're going to take this next path. And that's going to be you. Um, you have to be happy with where you're going to drive next. Um, and if that's ultra trail only, great. If it's still some road running and maybe not as long a distance, that's great too. But Susan's got to decide. Um, and sure, your husband and your family and your coach and other people in your life that matter, sure, they, they, they matter a lot. But really, the person who is going to get the most out of it from the fulfillment side on your own running is you. Okay, what you give back to the other athletes you coach and all, that's a whole other different world. Um, it's a whole other different experience. You're going to share your joy of running with athletes you coach and you're going to share your experiences and you're going to help them get to be the best version of themselves and reach their goals and go after what's important to them. But for you, you got to choose this fork in the road that you're choosing right now. And it may fork a few more times um, before. Exactly. You know, yeah. 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 So, um, so good, good for you. Tough period to get through, really tough. Thank God your mom made it out to the other side. Yeah. A lot of people didn't. Um, and she's still with you, which is a huge blessing, as you know. And uh, directionally making some changes with your running, um, you know, it may make you more healthy in the end. You know, running trails more, you know, with all the vertical and all the other stuff, doing more hiking because some of that stuff is just really not runnable. A lot of times in trail races, you end up, you know, hiking and power hiking sections over running. Um, it may rebuild and strengthen, you know, some of those weaknesses, you know, the hamstrings or other areas. You might develop more flexibility in your ankles and other things like you just don't know what the body can do when you put it into a whole different, you know, environment, right. arena. Exactly. And you might, yeah. you might surprise yourself. More importantly, you may get your drive back to want to do some road racing. You may not. You may be like, no way, man, this is where it's going to be. This is like phase two or phase three. Um, and whatever it is, you know, I have a lot of trail runners on this race. There's a lot of joy and fun to be found running ultra. Um, from the aid stations, having candy and fun things that we don't get at a marathon, which I'm a candy junkie, so sorry, excuse me. Like <laughs> the idea of having Starburst or jelly, jelly beans or, you know, chocolate or other things out on a race course. And then of course there's actually good things to eat, like baked potatoes with sea salt. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that are out there that are just fun that you won't find in a regular road race. And for me, when I did the JFK 50 twice, I took my own competitive 
nature and said, I'm not worried about a time. I'm going to talk to these people in the heat station. I'm just going to come through and I'm bleeding all over from my trail scars. And they're like, do you want us to patch something? No, no, no. I want the war wound. I want some good pictures. And, you know, I like took more time. I talked to the people going through those aid stations. I had more of a real experience as opposed to my normal self, which is like, no, I got to go. No, I got to run through this aid station. And you know what? I feel like I'm a better person for having done that for the few that I've done at this point. And we even talked before coming on, um, you know, that I'm sponsored by Koros and involved with their team and what a great brand and what a great product watch. And, uh, you know, just the athletes they're signing, not just in the marathon world with Kipchoge uh, on down, but, you know, Killian Journey and Ultra. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, the runners they have on board, Molly Seidel, you know, from the women's side marathoning and in the trail running community and Ultra, they're just like literally taking, you know, that, that place by storm. And I have an, I have an opportunity myself to come out to Leadville and maybe run a a 50 mile race in July. And sure, it doesn't necessarily fit in with what I'm training for right now, but you know, sometimes you just got to say, what the hell I'm going to do this and take my GoPro out and take a lot of photos and do that. So I applaud you for, um, you know, making some changes and, you know, who knows where it's going to take you. Um, but it's very cool, you know, to see where it's going to be and good luck in your first, uh, trail race in September. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited, super excited. Good. So it's just fun to do something new and, um, learn something, you know, just kind of starting from the ground up and see where you can take it. I just want to have fun. I'm, I've got a great group here in Breckenridge that I can train with. Um, we have trails, miles and miles of trails. So I feel like I've already won just because I get to train here and do what I love every single day. And, hamstrings healthy. Um, one other thing I want to say with people are at my age that are kind of struggling with a chronic injury, um, but want to continue going as yoga has helped me. So I implemented yoga about four months ago. I've always for 20 years, everybody says you should do yoga. And yes, I should do yoga. I understand that, but I never made time for it. So I'm finally making time for it. And I really kind of noticed a difference. So I think it is, um, helping me strengthen um, some of the places that aren't strong, definitely the flexibility, um, the, you know, helps me stretch me feel better. So anyway, so I've been doing that consistently for two, two times a week for about three months, almost four months now. And so I think that's making a difference. So the softer trails, the going, you know, like the vertical, which, you know, you don't do that all the time when you're road running here, that's all you do. Um, so I think I am getting stronger. So I don't know where that will lead. Um, but right now I'm just having fun and not putting pressure on myself and it, and it feels good. Good for you. And it's all new. And anytime anything is new, it's like just rewiring our brains. It's, it's just, uh, it's just such a sensual experience, like being outside in the elements, um, the trees, the flowers, the views, the vistas, you know, it's just nothing like road running. It's nothing like marathoning, which is very, uh, prescribed and after a while just is very ritualistic. I mean, we know the parts of the race and how they're going to break down and there's nothing about a trail race that follows anything like that. I mean, if you take your mind off, uh, take your eyes off the trail for one minute, man, you'll be sprawled out, man. You'll be down for the count. Um, and even with all these great views in front of you or to the side of you or, or, off to the left or right. You just really have to watch where you're going, man. You got to watch where your feet are going to land. You have to watch where you're going to plant. 
uh, whether it's rocks or twigs or tree branches or whatever, pine cones, my God, there's just always something out there if you're not paying careful attention. So I think it really does make the time go faster when you're out there and you no question you're strengthening a lot of parts in the lower chain by being on trail a lot because you just, oh, you just have to use so much more of your body, even your upper body, even when you're just hiking or power hiking these crazy steep sections. And that also goes for downhill, right? Because you're using so much of your lower core, you know, to control yourself, whether you're walking fast or just trying to keep yourself from going, you know, 20 miles an hour on some of these steep downhills. So it'll be interesting to see how your body responds as you get a little further, further along. And, um, you know, there are just some magnificent races and I know you're, you're very involved with rabbit, the brand and have been, you know, for many years and you got some great runners in that crew. Yeah. Um, I, had Doc- I actually got on their, I did get on the rabbit elite team. Um, I talked to them about trail, but can't be on the, uh, rabbit trail elite without having any trail races under your belt. So, <laughs> so I will continue. Uh, but yeah, rabbit, I love them. Um, just that they're a women founded company. Um, they support their community, which I'm huge. You know, I know you are too. I'm all about that. So um, another thing that's great about trail running that I'm finding very refreshing after, you know, two decades of road racing, nobody asks your pace. Pace really just does not matter. And so it's kind of, I mean, I've been about, that's all I've been about is pace, 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 right? And so it's refreshing. I mean, sometimes I have a nine minute pace. Sometimes I have a 15 minute pace. It just doesn't matter. So, um, but guess what? You succeed if you don't fall on your face. (laughs) Yeah. And pro tip for you being new and anyone else who's going to be new to trails, uh, you really don't want to be looking down at that Coros garment or polar, whatever that watch you have on an Apple watch. Cause the minute you look down is going to be the moment when something just all of a sudden comes up on that trail in front of you and you will be down for the count. You'll be doing a Superman and you'll be getting up bloodied. And you'll probably be, if you're like me, you'll probably be laughing about it as long as there aren't any broken bones, because it doesn't take many times like that. That, where you allow yourself to get distracted to realize you really have to pay attention. And it's not like it's awful paying attention. It's just, you just have to watch where you're going, man. You just really have to watch where your next footfall is going to be. And again, I think just that whole science of landing and how you land, whether it's on a rock or on a branch or somewhere as you're making your way into that next section, your brain is involved the whole time. And, you know, like I said, this, this sensory experience of just the trees you know, nature, the animals, all of it. It's, it's beautiful. And you're in beautiful country, um, both in, you know, when you're in Arizona and in, in Breckenridge. So you really have the best of both and you have access to great trails and in either place, you know, as you're, as you're getting ready for it. Um, the other thing I know, which is new and uh, big energy for you is your wine uh, connection and getting involved with uh, Continental Divide Winery out there. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Cause that's another very fun thing and a passion uh, to connect. And you brought the wine experience to running, which is very fun. Yeah. Well, uh, last summer, again, when I was kind of reevaluating my life and um, just, you know, where do I go now? What do I want to do next? I wanted to have something besides running that was completely outside of running. And um, I wanted it to be here in Breckenridge that would help connect me with the community. And um, there's this winery called Continental Divide Winery, where they make their own wine um, in Fairplay, which is about 14 miles south of here, highest altitude winery in the world. Um, anyway, so I'm like, this looks like fun. So I went, I met the owner and then um, went and talked and um, they hired me for the, you know, six, seven, however many months I'm here every year to serve wine and to help with events and maybe create events. And so, of course, I'm going to tie my running in with the wine. And so the first event um, that I'm going to do is called 
run now, wine later. So every Tuesday night, it actually starts this Tuesday. Um, we'll go, we're just going to do like a little three mile trail run and then come back and um, I will serve and take and let them taste the different wines that we have. And we'll do that every Tuesday all through the summer. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be a big hit. So anybody out there listening that's from Breckenridge, please join us. Um, and then I also, when I'm working and serving wine, doing wine tasting in this adorable little winery, um, I'm learning about wine. And again, I think I, maybe it was just you and I talking, but I love wine, but I also love learning about it. And so, and there's so much to it. And it actually, if you really think about running and wine, it's kind of the same. It brings people together. It brings community together. When you're running a long run with somebody, I mean, really kind of all your walls, you know, fall down and you share a lot with that person. That's how runners become such close friends. Well, when you're sharing a glass of wine, you're kind of doing the same thing. You're talking, and I think it really bonds people. It creates memories, just like running. So the two are kind of the same thing. And that's really what I'm all about. I love community. I love making memories. I love bonding with people. So I can do that through running. And I can also do that through listening to the stories and sharing uh, wine, tastes of wine with them. And so I'm bringing the two together. I'm super excited about it. Again, the whole goal of self-reflecting last year was find a new passion, um, you know, get, you know, get out something besides running. So I know I'm bringing running into the wine, but I'm also, you know, going to continue with this little new wine career and see where that takes me. I'm super excited. Love it. I could feel your energy and passion for it. And, um, I love the connection of how you're going to, um, you know, you're going to be doing events period. So it doesn't necessarily have to be just the run now, wine later, um, experience. You'll be doing other things, um, based on, I'm sure seasonally the time of the year, what's going on, you know, maybe based on food or chefs or whatever might be in the area doing pop-up stuff. Chocolate. I'm also thinking chocolate and wine pairing, right? Love I'm it. being a little selfish because everything I'm trying to do, I'm doing something that I love. And I also love chocolate. I know you love sweets. So maybe you'll come to it. Yeah. <laughs> so well, eventually we'll do a chocolate and wine pairing too. So that's, that's my next, but I'm going to get the running thing going first. <laughs> oh, love it. hundred percent. I mean, yeah, everybody does cheeses of course. And, and those are always fun. But, uh, you know, small plates for food, interesting things, um, seasonal things. I mean, you have so many great seasonal things at, at altitude and where you're living that are just beautiful. So you'll have a lot of fun opportunities. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about bringing people together. And what you said that makes the most sense to me is runners. Um, this whole show was founded on my one of my closest friends, you know, Kate Powerty that I've run the most miles with is, you know, the things that we would talk about. It would just like my eyebrows always go up like, oh my God, what are we going to talk about today? Like, I would never know what in God's name she was going to talk about or what story she was going to tell me or what stories I was going to tell. Are there friends along the way in Central Park that we'd meet on the bridal path? They jump in and then the stories change again because now there's the third person there, the fourth person, the fifth person. And the beauty of it is, and you nailed it. It's like, we let our guards down for the few moments in our lives when we actually just allow ourselves to be authentic. We allow ourselves to be transparent and actually talk about how we're feeling about our job, our kids, our husband, our wives, our significant others, or just something we're struggling with. And we don't worry about who the hell's going to judge us or who's going to think worse of us or less of us or something else. And Somewhere out there, a friend will either make a joke about it or loosen it up or just whatever reaction they have, and it's gone. And you know what? We all feel lighter, okay? We feel like we finished the run and we feel better. Something happened out there because we actually opened up and we were honest about 
real emotions or real feelings with people we care about and trust. And sometimes these are people we actually don't even know. Okay. So yeah, our close friends we care about and trust, but other people can be pure strangers that we've literally never met, but we're willing to take that chance and just open up. And then when the run's over, it's all safe. It's like confession. Yep. We told the priest what yep. happened. We don't have to worry about the priest telling anybody. No one's going to say, hey, Susan told me this about her son or whatever. No, it's it's all good. It's all like safe. Yes. And so the wine thing, I feel the same way. Like when we sit around and we're tasting wines or drinking wines or having some sort of family or holiday event, each of those wines brings us somewhere else. It evokes a memory of where's the wine from? What's the soil like? What's the grapes that are blended to create this taste, this flavor? And like, what memory does it bring? Were you at some restaurant? Did you have a meal with this food in this particular Pinot Noir that has hints of X, Y, Z? And like, what made you remember that in that moment of time? It's, it is, it's storytelling. And that's really, um, you're blending the best of both. So yeah, I would love to make it to one of those. And who knows, maybe I'll make the Leadville thing happen and then I'll be out there anyway. So we'll, we'll see. You never know. Yeah. Um, I believe. You never know. Yeah. We don't know. We, we don't know what doors or paths we're going to take. Um, but you know, it's important that we, uh, keep our options open, right. So that we keep learning and, and doing new things, which you're doing, which is exciting. Cause I can hear the passion in your voice for it. Um, and one thing that I end every show on, and I know it's near and dear to your heart, very important to you and very important to me is community service. So I want to give you the runway to talk about things that you've been involved with, things that matter to you. Um, and you're, you know, just overall what's important to you about community service. Community sir. Oh boy. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely near and dear to my heart. Um, I've started my, um, Back, oh gosh, years ago, because I've had my business, my coaching business for eight years, but I used to work for a, a nonprofit called Chances for Children. And we used to implement fitness programs into schools that couldn't afford to have it and fitness and nutrition programs. And so that's kind of where it all began. And so um, the way we raised our funds is I would coach people. I would coach a marathon teams to run their first marathon, second marathon, whatever, and they'd raise money for our nonprofit. Um, and so that's kind of started it. But ever since then, it just, I felt lucky that I got to do that because when you give to other people and you change the lives of others and you impact them, even in any tiny, tiny, small way, you really, you benefit, you know, you're, the people benefit, but the feeling is just immeasurable. And so, um, and just to see that you can change and, you know, at the end of our life, um, you know, I've read a lot. Of, I love to read, you know, self-help books. And, um, when my mom was dying, I started, um, uh, volunteering for ages, which is a, um, uh, hospice. And really at the end of your life is, did I make a difference? Um, did I, you know, did I make a difference? Did I love fully? Um, you know, did I impact people? And so that's really what matters within your life. So, and that's really what matters to me the most. So I've always volunteered as much as I could. Um, what I'm doing right now is, uh, girls on the run is my recent passion. I started volunteering last year here in Frisco, um, Colorado and loved it and not love it just because it's running and athletic because it teaches girls important life lessons, you know, and how to have sympathy, empathy, how to handle um, disappointment, how to handle failure, how to be positive, how to be a good friend, how to dismiss a friend in your, from your life who's toxic, um, all these invaluable lessons. Um, 
And so I just, I think, think that's one of the greatest programs ever. So when I got back to Phoenix last year, um, I started the program at my granddaughter's school. She's still too young, two years away from being able to do the program, but um, I got it started because I believe in it. I feel like every single girl in this world would benefit from going through girls on the run. And so we started at her school last year. I absolutely loved it. I'm going to continue it as long as I can. She can, I can coach her in um, two more years. So I'll definitely do it for that long. And uh, we also started um, Healthy Kids Running Series, which is a another nonprofit, and it's for um, kids ages two to junior high. And I started that in Breckenridge last year because they didn't have it. And it's something that I participated with in Phoenix with my grandkids. And the goal of that particular nonprofit is to bring families and communities together in an active way. And again, that's near and dear to my heart. I know like it is to yours too. So we started in Breckenridge. We had 67 kids last year and so all of their families. So every Sunday for five Sundays, the families come out, the kids come out, they're two years old. It's it's giving them the seeds of living an active, passionate life at that age. And so, and that's going to translate up. So again, it's the little tiny things you do. Maybe it's just a 50-yard dash, a 75-yard dash, a 400-meter but those little kids are going to remember that. And they're going to remember how they felt when they crossed the finish line. Maybe how I felt at my first marathon, like I could do anything. So if we can pass that along to these kids, it's absolutely priceless. So those are the two things I'm passionate about right now. But um, again, a message to your audience out there would be, if you're ever feeling sad or if you're ever feeling depressed, go help somebody. Because if you can help somebody, it's going to make you feel so good. And that's really all that matters in life is the difference that you make in the lives of other people. That's powerful stuff. Um, yeah. And it, it doesn't take um, having someone you're so close with, like your mom, um, nearly dying. And that is a huge trigger, of course. But it, at that moment, you know, at that crossroads moment, it does make children examine their own lives. It makes all of us examine our lives. Like, you know, when you're, you know, like you said, in hazmat suits and all these things that COVID uh, put us in this position or only being able to FaceTime our, our mom or our dad or whoever might've been in the hospital um, and maybe not even get a chance to say goodbye, um, which is a horrifyingly frightening um, experience. And I went through it too. My mom was in um, during COVID. So um, it does really make you pause. It really makes you stop and think, um, and it is at the end of the day, you know, at our age, you do start to think about legacy more. And I know I do, which is why I, I end every single episode on community service, because every single guest that stays with me to the end of a show, whether it's a 50 minute show or an hour and a half show or however long the show is, if they hear that last point, maybe before one final message from the guest, it really makes the wheels turn. It makes them think about, hey, what could I do? Could I donate at my local hospital? Can I give blood? Can I do something for the church? Can I do something at a dog shelter? It doesn't have to be anything that Susan just talked about or things I've talked about in my past. It can be anything that maybe has an interest to you that you feel some passion towards that you know is going to help someone else. Because the minute we volunteer that time and that energy and that service, we get back like, I don't know, a hundredfold back and the energy just stays with us. It radiates. And then you somehow want to share that experience with someone, your children, your friends, you, probably someone on a running group. Um, you're going to tell them about what happened and you know what? They're going to take that energy and they're going to think, okay, what can I do? Um, what can I do in my community? How can I help someone else at a hospice or whatever it might be, community service-based. So thanks for sharing those things that matter and getting young kids involved at that age is just wonderful. Getting them active and doing something 
is just fantastic. And it's a family experience. And Girls on the Run is just one of my favorites. Um, lots of moms who've been on the show are very active in their in their local chapters. So yeah, we need more of these kinds of things to do. Um, and look, good job, man. Congratulations on that. Kudos on that. Um, we covered a lot of ground. You shared some amazing stories, not just about your running ability and your amazing running and what you've done, you know, starting out late in life to have accomplished so much as a master's runner, like incredibly, like legendary, you know, running uh, in terms of accomplishments, but way more importantly, really cool stories that are very specific from each of those races and life moments that I know will resonate with people. But um, before we do roll out, I just want to ask if you have any other message or anything else you want to share with anybody um, before we say goodbye. Well, um, I just, first, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. And um, I really appreciate that sincerely. And um, any other messages? Um, I would just say, get out there and be yourself and move, <laughs> right? That's kind of what we've been talking about. So just do a little something every day, whether it's a walk around the block, whether it's, um, you know, walking your dog, whatever it is, just, to, just do something and I promise you will feel better. So. Stay active, stay healthy, believe in yourself. God bless. What a perfect place to land it because we sign off every show by telling everybody to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was such a fun episode for me. I followed Susan's master's running uh, performances from afar and been a huge admirer of her accomplishments. Uh, so I was really excited to have the opportunity to get her on here and share her amazing journey. And it is an amazing one at that. Uh, she's also a gifted storyteller, just gave some wonderful poignant examples along the way of her biggest races, her biggest moments, milestone moments of uh, important lessons learned and things to share with you all um, on your own running journey. So I hope that will have an impact for all of you. I certainly know it did for me. Um, she also is just a huge uh, positive energy person that just kind of oozes through. Uh, you know she's rooting for you, whether she's coaching you virtually as a runner or an athlete and trying to help you hit your goals or doing grassroots things in the community, uh, trying to get young young girls and young kids involved uh, via Girls on the Run and uh, other uh, charitable things that she's doing in the community. Uh, also, her uh, enthusiasm for wine was fun. Uh, we both share that passion. So uh, maybe I'll have to get out there for one of those Run Now Wine Later events in Breckenridge. But super exciting to follow uh, Susan's journey from here as she transitions over to Trail and Ultra. And who knows, you know, she may get back out there in the roads at some point um, and, uh, you know, give some masters running on the roads a turn as well. But if not, uh, she, what, an, what an incredible career. And uh, the trails are calling all of us, my friends. It's beautiful running, and uh, where she lives is pr some pretty magical uh, area in terms of uh, the vistas, the scenery, et cetera. So we're wishing her all the best. And uh, if you enjoy this one and you have some big takeaways and you can get a moment to hop on Apple Podcasts, write a quick review, share this episode in Instagram stories or on Facebook or on Strava, wherever it might be, it really does help us get new listeners and followers to run chats, helps us build out our community here. And most importantly, it makes it easier for me to get great guests like Susan to come on the show and share their stories with you all. So 
Uh, Keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight.